Welcome to Behavior Analysis in Practice, the podcast. Behavior Analysis in Practice is a podcast committed to narrowing the research practice gap and demystifying the research process. Each episode will take a deep dive into the latest work published in the journal Behavior Analysis in Practice by interviewing each paper's author about the topic. We'll explore the nuances of the paper and ask the questions you wish you could ask after reading it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Behavior Analysis in Practice, the podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cody Morris, Assistant Professor of Behavior Analysis at Salve Regina University. Today, I'm excited to bring to you an interview I conducted with Jessica Fuller about her paper, Mindful Parenting, a Behavioral Tool for Parent Well-Being. Jessica is a BCBA and doctoral student working in the area of research, ABA fieldwork supervision, and consultation with individuals on creating more meaningful lifestyles by incorporating mindfulness into their everyday lives. She received her Bachelor's of Arts in Psychology with a minor in ABA from the University of South Florida in 2013. In 2017, Jessica earned her Master's of Science and graduated with distinction from Capella University. Shortly after, she received her board certification. She is currently pursuing a doctoral degree at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology, where her research focuses on intercontinental remote training and mindfulness practices within the behavior analytics scope. Jessica's goal is to translate a lot of the mindfulness research in ways that can be applied to everyday life situations with a range of behaviors, such as learning to cultivate mindful practice for yourself, raising kids to be mindful, learning to savor the little things in life, and honing your creative self through mindful practice. Jessica has a passion for teaching and disseminating the various ways ABA can be used across disciplines and environments. She is an independent fieldwork supervisor and mentor. She does private practice consultations, parent and staff training both in person in Tampa, Florida, and the Dominican Republic and via telehealth. The paper that I'll be speaking to Jessica about today is Mindful Parenting, a Behavioral Tool for Parent Well-Being, which is a tutorial on various mindful practices that may be useful for parents. It was a really interesting conversation, an interesting paper. So without further ado, here's my interview with Jessica. Good morning, Jessica. Thanks for joining us on BAPCAST today. Good morning. Thank you for having me. We're excited and really excited to talk about your paper focused on mindfulness. But before we jump into that, I was wondering if you would mind telling us a little bit about yourself, what you're currently doing, and, and how that involves research. Absolutely. So I'm Jessica Fuller. I'm a BCBA and third year doctoral student at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. I've been in the field for about eight years and have served in various roles from working with children to adolescents, parent training, um, both in the clinic, school clinic, um, sorry, uh, home settings. 
And about three years ago, I decided to venture off and start my own company that is 100% remote. I started with the idea of providing remote supervision to those that were pursuing um, the BCBA certification and really providing opportunities for networking Hmm. outside of their work setting, which for a lot of people, particularly outside of the U.S., that might not be uh, a feasible uh, thing. It's not really accessible unless you're going to conferences or really traveling. Um, I live in the Dominican Republic for most of the year where there's only four, maybe five BCBAs now. Um, So creating that online environment was really my drive to starting my own company. And then within the last year and a half or so, I've really shifted to the focus of mindful training specifically for parents um, within the scope of behavior analysis. So kind of looking at creating those meaningful behavior changes within the home and creating habits of well-being um, throughout all areas of life. Wow. So you, I mean, you've got a lot going on. You're, you're both working on finishing up your PhD. You've got your business. How do you make time to, to write papers like this or do research? Oh, the famous question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think a lot of it comes with balance and learning how to prioritize and really scheduling. Um, I have sticky notes all over the place that kind of keep me on track um, as an idea arises for research, which I have a ton over here. <laughs> um, I just kind of jotted down and really create a timeline for myself with setting goals. Um, and then really being in school kind of creates that, um, that opportunity to really develop some of that research because I do have the supportive professors that might have similar research interests. Um, and then with work, it just kind of helps motivate me to find new areas to talk to my students about, to talk to parents about. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where, where that stems from. That's awesome. And you said when you were describing what you do that you sort of got into mindfulness. What, what led you to, to this topic? So the very first class or second class I took at the Chicago School was looking at mindfulness and meditation through that scope of behavior analysis. Mm. Um, so I read some pretty interesting articles that gave me a really great overview of what mindfulness does for people, um, kind of those uh, scientific underpinnings that uh, aren't always known because mindfulness has kind of become something more mainstream right. lately, but there is that science behind it. So taking that class really drove me to uh, look at the literature a little bit more closely. Hmm. And looking at sort of uh, the, as you said, the behavioral perspective of what mindfulness and, and I love the Mm -hmm. very detailed breakdown of mindfulness as a concept that you provide in the paper defining it. So would you mind sort of summarizing how you define mindfulness in your paper? So essentially mindfulness is being in the present moment. Uh, being able to see things as they come up without really judging and just being aware of what is happening, not just within ourselves, um, but also in our immediate environment. So Mm -hmm. in the article, I talk about two different definitions, which one is a self-regulation of attention. Um, So just bringing awareness to oneself, the present moment, as I said, and then orientation to one's experience. So what is happening around us um, and within this paper, particularly for parents, our environment revolves around a lot of moving pieces in one uh, moment. So being able to pay attention to all of this so that we can react um, accordingly and not uh, maybe not react out of a place of aversiveness, but more of a calming um, place. That's, that's fascinating. And you write this paper 
sort of in the context of stressors related to COVID, uh, but also, I mean, this is, a, this is applicable and obviously useful across all sort of life stressors and you're aiming at in this paper specifically at, at parents. So can you talk about some of the, the needs of parents in your experience or sort of the perspective that you're writing this paper in? Absolutely. So when this, the call for papers kind of arose, um, it was, what can we do now to help people during um, the very uncertain times that was COVID and still kind of is. Um, and as a parent, I immediately went to mindfulness. This is something that I can apply right now without previous training. Um, I mean, there is a lot of training that goes involved to it, but within the paper, we try to make it very technical. Like these are the steps you can do. This is the chain of behaviors. I you love can, that. Um, yeah, that was great. Yeah. Engage in. And so a lot of the literature talks about how mindfulness does help parents relieve some of those stressors. So these were tools that could be applied right now for parents, no matter where they were at, they could look at this and say, okay, I can engage in the mindful breathing or um, the stop. And you're seeing this as something that can be embedded in sort of what type of services, and it may be a very large sort of range of services, but where do you see this sort of fitting in the best? Honestly, I think it can be anywhere and anytime and place. The, the goal right now is to implement it with parent training, and that's where I've seen it throughout the literature, but I've also seen it, um, you know, with practitioners to increase self-awareness and well-being within practitioners. We work in a very high stress environment most of the time. So implementing these tools um, in the work setting could be a great, a great tool. That's awesome. Now in your paper, you, not only do you provide a a really excellent breakdown of, of mindfulness sort of in uh, a behavioral sort of orientation, but you also break four interventions, I believe four interventions describing what those are and really a, a really, really well constructed, I don't know if we would call it task analysis or what, but step-by-step mm-hmm. process on how to implement those. So could you, I guess, talk about those, those four specific applications yeah. of mindfulness? Absolutely, and I love that you, talked about the task analysis because that was kind of the goal with breaking these up this way that they were easy to follow. Um, So the first one I talk about is a meditation on the soles of the feet, um, which is a really fantastic way to introduce mindfulness because like you said, it's broken down into the steps um, and it just helps you focus on something that's very neutral. So our soles of the feet, they don't really have much meaning. They just kind of sit, (laughs) you know, in our extremities. And placing, teaching parents or any individual to focus on the soles of your feet is just simple to follow. Mm. Um, And then in the article, I break it down to where we're teaching these, this chain of behaviors that um, a parent can easily just sit at the dining room table and follow. Um, I created this little visual that I shared for all of these, um, and I'll talk about them. Um, that parents can place around their house where um, Mm. stressors might arise. So maybe if uh, in the morning routines, uh, cooking uh, takes away attention from being with your children and that brings about feelings of stress, you can have a little picture of feet. (laughs) I know it sounds weird, but uh, on your fridge that reminds you to go sit down and engage in this chain of behaviors. 
Um, this one in particular, I really like. Um, there's a lot of research on it. There's one particular article that kind of drove me into reading more about Souls of the Feet, where it was a smoking cessation program. Mm -hmm. So for those uh, behavior analysts that aren't very fond of the term mindfulness <laughs> and how it can be a little objective, looking at this research and how it is creating these behavior change um, outcomes is, is really powerful. So um, meditation on the soles of the feet for smoking cessation was very um, objective because you could see that behavior change across time uh, for an individual. Uh, it was really interesting. And then okay. the second one is the mindful stop. This one I think is one of my uh, favorite ones to use. Um, it's used kind of like a check-in. So when you're in a situation, again, high stress situation, you can take that break and say, okay, I need to stop. I need to take a breath. I need to observe what's happening and then proceed uh, in a calmer state of mind per mm. se. Um, oftentimes as parents, we like to react and it's not, <laughs> it's just part of life. Uh, you're in a high stress situation at the supermarket at your home and you react to these situations. So learning to stop, to use this particular um, intervention or procedure really helps you to not only not react in an aversive manner, but maybe not reinforce some of those unwanted behaviors that um, children uh, often display. Right. Um, so yeah, this one's another one that I created a little visual for, again, to for parents to just place wherever um, stressful situations may arise. I have mine in my child's playroom because a lot of times that is where I need that moment to kind of stop and observe what's going on before I engage in those reactive uh, reprimands or behaviors. Nice. And then let's see, the next one is the surfing the urge. This one's also pretty cool. Um, this one uses a lot of metaphors. So this one uses a surfboard as a metaphor. So you would use your breath as a metaphor. So in meditation, you always go back to your breath and you'll hear that a lot when you hear about mindfulness and meditation. Um, so surfing the urge is the idea that when we start feeling maybe like our palms sweating or our stomach starts tightening because we're so angry or, <laughs> you know, so stressed our jaw, like for me, my jaw just gets really tense. Um, it's learning to kind of breathe through it. And mm. Dr. Nabrai Singh really uh, exemplifies this with the surfboard. So as that urge of anger or stress kind of arises, we start kind of surfing it with our breath. And as we take a deep breath out, we kind of let that feeling go. And you can go through this multiple times. Um, it does take a little bit of practice, I think, to really under just be able to engage and understand that concept fully. Mm. Um, and then let's see, and that one's also broken down um, into very easy to follow steps. Again, there's an emphasis in the paper of using those visuals, teaching uh, parents or caregivers, whoever's using this in intervention uh, to just place little visuals throughout um, as a cue to engage in these behaviors. And also really important with all of these is to reinforce yourself. When you engage in these, remind yourself, this is a practice. Uh, creating habits takes time. Um, so to really see the effectiveness of a lot of these is just being kind to yourself, noticing mm -hmm. what's happening. Uh, and maybe you use the surf the urge and that one works really well, or maybe it doesn't and you can try the mindful stop um, or simply breathing. Um, 
is a great way to just remind yourself that this is a process and <laughs> we're all in this together. That's right. Um, and then the very last one I talk about is self-monitoring. So I'm sure behavior analysts will love this one because <laughs> this is where data comes in and we all know that yeah. we like to take data and make data-driven decisions. So self-monitoring, maybe taking um, a tally of how many times a day or a week you're engaging in these behaviors um, and really tracking your progress of, am I seeing a difference? Yes, no. And some of that can be measured through, like I said, in a lot of the literature, um, the mindfulness practices are trained to the parent or caregiver, but the outcomes are measured in their child's uh, or client's behavioral repertoire. So mm -hmm. the parent is engaging in these, uh, these uh, practices, and then we measure behavior change in the child's um, maladaptive behaviors or skill acquisition. Um, so again, of course, data is super important. And I also created a little data sheet that I shared on my social media that parents and um, uh, anyone can really access and just take a little bit of, of data. Um, and then lastly, within that, with the self-monitoring, there's a lot of really great apps that help with this. So if you don't like pencil and paper, if you're not old school, I am, I, I like <laughs> the feel of having just a data sheet, you can use some apps. So there's some pretty cool ones out there um, the Calm app is really good. It takes data on how long you engage in, in these mindfulness meditations and these um, Headspace is another really good one. They were actually offering free, um, uh, like free usage throughout the pandemic. I'm not sure if that's still the case, but it's a great one. And then if you like, uh, like data on biofeedback, there's something called the Muse headband, mm -hmm. which is fantastic. I did not mention this one in my paper, but it um, it's just a headband that goes around your forehead and as you engage in these practices, it takes data on how long, so that latency of how long it takes you to get to that calm uh, state, wow. which is pretty interesting. <laughs> um, is that yeah. through like the, is it somehow getting your pulse or what is it, what is it reading through that, through the headband? Um, I, that's a good question. I'm not sure how it, it receives the brain waves. It does go on your temple, so possibly. It would do heartbeat. That's fascinating. Um, but it provides reinforcement through chirping of birds. So when you're hearing like the birds chirp, that means you're in a calm state. Hmm. Um, yeah, That's it's awesome. a pretty cool nifty tool. Yeah, you, you hit on a lot of really, really cool ideas and, and concepts. I'll quickly say you mentioned that you've got a data sheet that you shared on social media. We'll, if it's okay, we'll link to that in our show Absolutely. notes so that people can access that. And I just want to reiterate for the listeners, the paper really beautifully not only gives examples of visuals that parents can be using, but the task analyses are broken down extremely clearly just to follow us step by step on, on, on implementing these strategies. And so for just the task analyses alone, the, the papers where it's pulling up and checking out, they can be really, really helpful. And they're very, very well done. Now, in terms of sort of utilizing these with parents, what does that what does a conversation look like when you when you start something like that? And I ask because I do a lot of parent training, and I certainly have, in my experience, had to have some of those difficult conversations with parents about, hey, maybe not 
approach the, the, the situation or your child when you're sort of escalated in terms of some emotions, mm-hmm. that can be a little bit of a sensitive topic. And then, you know, potentially working on interventions specifically related to that, I imagine may be complicated as well. So can, can you sort of describe what your experience has been with that? Absolutely. Um, so a lot of times it's just introducing this concept and saying, hey, have you ever heard of, of mindfulness? I, you know, I have this strategy that I would really like to try and you can tell me how it makes you feel, how, if you're noticing any changes. Um, so I don't necessarily always target, hey, you're doing this the, the, in a certain way that may not be beneficial mm-hmm. to your child, but hey, there's this, let's try it out. Let's see what happens um, and kind of take it from there. Because as you said, it, is, it can be a very sensitive topic um, specifically if they don't necessarily approach you with, hey, I need help with this that's going on. <laughs> well, that's a good behavior analytic strategy right there. Don't focus on the don't behaviors, focus on the do behaviors. The do. Instead of saying, <laughs> stop doing this, say, hey, why don't we try this? We, I think it's going to help. So it's a good alternative yeah. behavior there. Now, we've talked about the use of it with parent trainings. And before you sort of alluded to, well, you, you could potentially be utilizing this yourself or with your staff. Where exactly in terms of like potentially billable units or like how behavior analysts ultimately are going to be compensated for this? Where, where does that fall in? Like, is it on the, the parent training sort of services aspect or, or how do we blend that with like ultimately what we're required to do via, you know, insurance reimbursement and that sort of thing? That's a really good question. I personally do not work with insurances mm-hmm. at the moment. Um, when I did, when I was working at a clinic, this was very difficult to kind of embed into um, a behavior plan because again, people see that word mindfulness and it's like, oh, that's not really an objective measure or um, that's kind of outside of the scope of behavior analysis. Um, I have had success with simply teaching maybe um, some behaviors like attending for example, um, and kind of embedding some of those mindfulness practices into that attending. Mm. Um, but like I said, currently I don't work with insurances. So that that's not a question that, or an answer that I really have readily available. I will do some research on that to, yeah. <laughs> to further support. That. Yeah. Um, and if you end up finding anything, we can link to it in the show notes. It's uh, it is something to so, consider uh, for, for the listeners, right? How do you, you blend that in and you've been, really, really careful and really helpful in saying you know, this, what we're describing in this paper is within the scope of behavior analysis. Can you sort of explain that a little bit more in terms of, of where a line may be in terms of what is ultimately the scope of, of behavior analysts within mm-hmm. the realm of mindfulness? And if, if there's ever uh, a, an application of mindfulness that maybe goes beyond that scope and and sort of where that sure. is, because I imagine there's got to be some gray area in there. Absolutely. So our primary focus in behavior analysis cr- is creating those socially significant behavior changes, right? So when we introduce mindfulness, that's why we like to take data and make sure that mm-hmm. we are creating those, those positive and socially significant behavior changes. Um, it can be really easy to just say, hey, go sit down and take five deep breaths and just not pay attention to what's going on. But within the scope of behavior analysis, we're teaching a chain of behavior. So mindfulness is kind of the outcome of these procedures. So 
meditation is the vehicle that takes you to that mindfulness state, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So within the scope of behavior analysis, creating these task analyses, this um, step-by-step objective uh, behavior um, change procedure, uh, for better, lack of a better word, um, is what keeps it behavioral and not just this um, construct, imaginary construct of, <laughs> of what it can be. Yeah. Um, so you're so, yeah. sort of saying, you know, ultimately our dependent variable is, is important socially significant behavior change. And the way we're mm-hmm. ultimately implementing mindfulness is breaking it into specific behaviors. This isn't some sort of abstract or, exactly. or sort of loosely defined practice that we're just saying, yeah, just go meditate and, and not really providing a step-by-step sort of task analyses on specific behaviors that we're targeting here. Exactly. Exactly. That's awesome. And nevertheless, you know, this is a uh, mindfulness seems to be something that, as you said earlier, it's practiced across many, many domains, right? Clinical psychologists mm-hmm. certainly use it. Social workers uh, use it. Counselors use it. Behavior analysts are using it for certain applications. Even schools are using it. I've, I've noticed. Mm-hmm. So it, given that so many different disciplines and, and so many different there's so many different applications of mindfulness. Do you see any sort of line where perhaps parents that we may be wanting to, to give some, some basic strategies to, perhaps they're experiencing symptoms that are, are perhaps too severe and therefore there's like a line of like, this can be used within the realm of like parent training and their interaction with their children as related to what we're doing versus they're suffering clinical depression or clinical anxiety. And it's, it's beyond just the stressors related to the, the children that we're ultimately serving. Oh, absolutely. And I do think there is a, there's a pretty good distinction there. And a lot of it will stem back to those initial conversations that you have with your, your families, um, whether or not this is an intervention that is feasible or not. Um, I think that if that conversation arises where there are more severe um, symptoms of depression, anxiety, um, all of that, then that's where maybe referring to someone more specialized in those areas would be beneficial. Um, But again, I think that will stem from those initial conversations when we're doing the parent interview and uh, really assessing what's happening within that client uh, home or client's home. That makes a lot of sense. And and you do a really nice job to sort of describing that within the paper and talking about, again, this is mindfulness within the scope of behavior analysis, within the scope of sort of parent training within behavior analysis. And again, provide a, a really, really well laid out step-by-step guide. And I really, really appreciate this paper for a lot of reasons. And, I, you know, one of my experiences clinically when working with parents has been with the parents who may be a little bit, you know, more reactive or have stronger reactions, how to give them essentially alternative behaviors to engage in where they're going to come at the, the behavior in a little bit more of a complex state because in behavior analytic research and in related disciplines research, basically uh, anyone who's doing parent training is going to say, Hey, parents shouldn't be coming at an issue at a heightened state. It's not going to be 
very effective for multiple reasons, which is great, but what can we do about that? And that's where your paper really comes in handy because not only is it saying something like mindfulness may help uh, sort of regulate those emotions and have parents on a good equilibrium, but it's just breaking the specific steps to that into these really, really neatly laid out task analyses that, I mean, literally anyone can pick up and, 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 and provide the visuals or whatever steps to help sort of train parents on that. It's just a brief, even just a brief part of, of their, their training process. In the paper though, you do talk about sometimes this may take a little bit longer for parents to get, get, a, get a hold of. Could you maybe talk about what that process may look like in, in some cases? Absolutely. So, I mean, in general, we know that repeated practice of anything really strengthens a behavior and, and creates that, that habit. And what we want is to create those habits mm-hmm. um, to really see the, the fruit of uh, mindfulness. Um, so within the paper, I, I specify, like, provide reinforcing when you're teaching it too. So don't just give this task analysis uh, to the parent, but really break it down use behavioral skills training, Mm. um, you know, model it, rehearse it, provide feedback. Um, And I I think I even gave a couple examples, like how to provide feedback, like provide feedback on how they're sitting straight, how their spine is, you know, aligned, um, or how they're doing a great job with uh, maybe having their feet flat on the ground and not, you know, kind of bouncing around. (laughs) Um, So yeah, just creating those habits, really repeated practice. That's awesome. Now, I don't want to necessarily put you on the spot or anything, but I I would be interested if we could, I don't want to, we're not going to have time to go through each of the four mindful interventions that you described, but could we pick one, maybe your favorite and you almost walk us through it as a, I don't know if we want to pretend as if you're sort of coaching a parent through it or just maybe breaking it into those specific steps, but just to kind of further explore just one as a, an, an example. Absolutely. So I think it's hard to pick one that's my favorite because I do like all of them. Um, I, will, I think mindful step would be the best one to exemplify here because it, it's, it's a little bit shorter. Okay. Um, and it is the one that I use the most often within okay. my own practice. So like I said earlier, mindful step is kind of a check-in. Let's, let's see where, where we're at in this moment. So I want you to pretend that you are, I'm going to pretend you're a parent. And I'm going to um, try it. I'm sitting straight in my <laughs> chair. I'm going to try to follow along as best I can. If you're driving, maybe don't do this, but yes, if no. you're at home, <laughs> maybe follow along with us. Um, so I want you to pretend you're a parent. You're in this, um, like I said, maybe you're in the kitchen, you're preparing breakfast and your focus right now is on not burning uh, those eggs on the pan or not burning the toast. And you have your child starting to kind of snowball into those uh, maladaptive behaviors, um, maybe because you're not paying attention to them. You're really focused on, on uh, breakfast. Yeah. So I want you to take a moment to stop what you're doing, even if it's for two seconds, stop everything you're doing and take a deep breath. I want you to notice what you're feeling. Is it stress? Are your hands starting to sweat? Do you feel maybe just overwhelmed with the screaming in the background, the breakfast on the, on the stove, um, just stop and notice and then take a deep breath. So again, always going back to the breath. So I want you to actually take a deep breath and help that kind of bring you back to that present moment. Um, 
think about what you're doing in this exact moment. If the breakfast burns, is it really the end of the world? Maybe you just turn the, the stove off for a second. Mm. You start observing um, what's happening within yourself and around yourself. Um, again, going back to what are you feeling? Um, you want to kind of maybe look around and see how you can um, react better. Um, and then once you're into a calm state of mind through that breath, through that awareness, you want to just kind of proceed with what you're doing. Maybe you continue to um, do your breakfast or you actually turn around and you engage with your child in a more positive, calm manner rather than um, if you hadn't done this procedure, maybe you start hearing all that background noise and you turn around and you scream and now you're reinforcing those attention seeking behavior or um, you can actually turn around now and say, I'll be with you in a second. Let me just turn the stove off and then proceed. Um, so it's, it's really simple. It's just following and, and it's an acronym. So it's easy to remember. Stop. S for stop. T for take a breath. O for observe what's going on inside and outside. And then P for proceed. Proceed calmly. Um, and you can come back to this as many times as you need. Um, again, kind of coming back to that breath. That is a, a really, really great example. And one that, again, as someone who's done quite a bit of parent training, is not something that is really going to take very much time really at all within the scope of the parent training, but it's ultimately going to be a very useful strategy. Again, as someone who's, who's worked with, a number of parents on reducing reactivity and, and oftentimes realistically struggled on specific strategies to recommend for something like that. Mm -hmm. This four stop simple acronym to embed in there to try. And, and if this one doesn't sit especially well with that particular parent, you have the alternative options right in this paper of mm -hmm. different ones that could, could try. But this isn't something where we're saying, okay, we're, we're doing mindfulness and behavior analysis. So we're sending our, our parents to go do goat yoga for three months or, or something like that, right? It, it's a little bit no. it's more explicit. It's more simple behaviors leading to yep. behavioral outcomes ultimately, right? And it's, and it's all Absolutely. explicit and measurable and objective. So really great example. I wish we had time to go into to each of them, but Again, if you check out the paper, you'll see they're all laid out in a simple task analysis, describing them in the same way that this, this stop, the stop intervention is. And so really, really helpful paper. I think it honestly, for me, for someone who knew a little bit about mindfulness, wasn't super well versed in it, seeing it laid out in this honestly makes it a lot less intimidating as a concept. It's just, okay, yeah, this is, this is something I can be comfortable with and, and embed in, in my, my sessions with parents, parent training and, and doing home-based services. It's not this ethereal or, or some abstract mm -hmm. thing. It, it's really grounded in specific behaviors. And so this paper is really, really helpful. I really appreciate your effort and your co-authors work on this paper. Absolutely. And before we sort of end things, I want to, I always like to hear about what next steps you think people need to take in this area, right? You, you've really done a nice job of outlining the importance of mindfulness and, and specific applications of mindfulness. What are steps that the field needs to take, or maybe you, you mm -hmm. yourself want to take in terms of research or anything like that? Like what, what's next? Well, 
First and foremost, I think replication of a lot of the studies that are already out there. Um, mm. I think if you look at my reference list, most of the um, articles are, are by Dr. Nibray Singh, mm. which he does a fantastic job with uh, all of the research in mindfulness, but it would be really great to also see that uh, or see other uh, behavior analysts kind of delve into this. So replication first and foremost, um, with this particular paper, um, I'm working with my second author, Elizabeth Fitter and Dr. Katagnis over at the Chicago School to create an extension of it um, to focus very similarly, but to focus more on practitioners and BCBAs and how they can implement it uh, mm. within their practice for themselves. Um, and then I, for this particular paper, I would love to eventually really um, see the validity of these interventions in a more uh, experimental uh, way. So maybe creating a study where I can uh, apply these and really measure, create, you know, just to add, you know, strength to mindfulness within our field. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, that would be awesome. I, I hope you're able to do that. Maybe other people can. I hope so too. Contribute with those. For those who are maybe newer to mindfulness and become interested through this podcast and through your paper, is there anything that they should should be reading or checking out? I mean, you talked about the apps, you talked about Dr. Singh's research or probably some, but is there any is there anything, maybe those or other things that they should check out? Yes. Yeah, so in general, I love all the work by um, John Kabat-Zinn and I, I mentioned him a couple of times throughout the paper. Um, if you want to learn more about single subject research, go back and look at um, work by Dr. Nibrai Singh. Mm. Um, and then if you're looking for a really good book that really exemplifies some of those scientific underpinnings of mindfulness, um, there's a really great book called Altered Traits. And this is by Dr. Daniel Goldman and Richard Davidson, I believe. Um, this is really great for practitioners to kind of see if you're skeptical of if this is science. Mm. Uh, this is a great way, uh, great place to start. And then for parents, there's a gr great book by Christopher Willard called Growing Up Mindful. And mm -hmm. this is another um, place that I like to kind of point parents towards to reading because it's an easy read and it really shows um, a lot of different things that we can do throughout our day-to-day -day basis on, you know, including mindfulness within our, our lives. Excellent. Any other messages you want the, the audience to know about mindfulness, about your paper or anything else? Um, maybe just a little suggestion for anyone that reads it and really wants to uh, maybe engage in teaching this to others, practice what you preach. So mm. if you're going to start teaching mindfulness procedures, definitely start with trying them out yourself, seeing how they make you feel, how... Um, you see any behavior change within yourself. Um, that's always important to me that people that are, are, are practicing teaching this are also practicing themselves. I think that's great. And as you said, with a sort of high stress career certainly can be to be helpful in reducing some of the experiences of the stress. So thank Absolutely. you so much for your work. As I said, fascinating read and just very practical. Uh, very, very practical layout of the paper and super useful for that reason. So thank you again. Thanks for joining us on the show. And, and thank we'll you talk for soon. having me. Yeah, thanks. Remember to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. 
find us and follow us on social media to suggest fat papers that we should review, to stay up to date with the latest episodes, and to send us questions you'd like us to ask authors of papers. Finally, I'd like to thank a few people for helping create this podcast. Thank you to Stephanie Peterson, the editor of the journal Behavior Analysis and Practice. Thank you, ABAI, who publishes Behavior Analysis and Practice and supports this podcast. Thank you to my assistant producer, Elizabeth Nervaez, and my production assistants, Jesse Perrin, Tatiana Pular, and Jacqueline Wilson. As always, thank you to Jim Carr and his band, New Latitude, for letting us sample their song, Cruising Altitude, throughout this podcast.